0: If you're new here with us, my name's Matt, welcome here. Uh, We are going to continue on now in our study through uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, Last week, we introduced a series called The Great City of Nineveh. And uh, in this series, we are gonna be looking uh, at the ancient city of Nineveh, first through the lens of Jonah, and then through the book of Nahum. And so last week, we began in Jonah. Uh, Today, we're gonna be in verse uh, four, all the way, uh, verse four to 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm gonna be reading through it so uh, you can see it on the screen as well. Uh, to begin with, let's pause for a word of prayer and then we will uh, dive into God's Word. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this church and uh, this, even this building, Lord. A, a place that we have here in the Tri-Cities uh, to gather together, uh, to uh, have fun events, Lord. But most importantly, to uh, gather together around your Word and who you are. And I pray, uh, God, that through all these events in the coming weeks... Uh, Jesus, that you would be honored, that we would grow in our faith. Uh, Lord, I pray this would be a place uh, where people are known and uh, known well, Lord, where our relationships are deep. And so I pray, God, for things like the dodgeball event, that the men of the church would, would be there, the older men, Lord, to uh, pour into the lives of those who are younger in years. And uh, God, that we would develop uh, dynamics, Lord, where there is um, relationships across the generations. Uh, thank you, God, that your church is, uh, is full of all sorts of people from all walks of life, from all stages of life. And I pray now, Lord, that even though all of us have come from different places, we can turn our attention to your word, and God, that we can know that you will speak to each of us where we are. So I pray that would happen, and that, God, you'd give us uh, soft hearts to hear from you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. To begin this morning, uh, we, I'm going to read to you a weather analysis report. Super exciting. Uh, from 28 years ago. This is from an event that happened uh, in the uh, end of October in 1991. And it reads like this, Uh, on October 29th, 1991, off the coast of Atlantic Canada, a weather system which started out as a low-grade storm was forced southward by a ridge to its north. It picked up wind speed, reached its peak intensity as a large and powerful cyclone. The cyclone lashed the east coast of the United States with high waves and coastal flooding before turning to the southwest and weakening. Uh, Moved over warmer waters, the system transitioned into a tropical storm. It then executed a loop off the mid-Atlantic states and turned northeast. Then by November 1st, the system evolved into a full-fledged hurricane, which uh, with peak sustained winds of 120 kilometers per hour. So this event, this hurricane remained uh, unnamed at the time. But a few years later, there was an author, his name was Sebastian Younger, who wanted to write about this uh, very interesting event where three distinct weather patterns came together into this cataclysmic storm. And so he went to speak with a man named Bob Case, who was the deputy meteorologist at the Boston uh, Office of the National Weather Service. And Bob Case, in describing this phenomenon, he described it as the perfect storm, where three distinct weather patterns came together, and that name stuck uh, Sebastian Younger used it as uh, the title for his book, and then a few years later, it was made into a movie called The Perfect Storm with George Clooney. You may remember this movie. Uh, it was a great movie. I remember seeing it in the theater. George Clooney played Billy Tyne, who was the captain of uh, the fishing boat, the Angela Gale. And tragically, this uh, fishing boat, they decided to make one last run at the end of the season, end of the fishing season. So they sailed out past uh, the tip of Nova Scotia, way out into sort of uh, the limits of the fishing uh, lands there. Not lands, fishing area. And they caught a huge catch. Their boat was filled with fish. But unfortunately, their ice machine broke. And so they were, they were way out there. They saw the storm developing, but they made the tragic decision of trying to make it back to land because they were afraid all of their fish would spoil. And the, shi- the ship was lost. I'm not sure if you remember that movie, but it, it was a compelling movie. It was one of those movies where even though you, you knew it was gonna happen, you knew that things weren't gonna turn out well, and yet it was still very, very compelling. Uh, there's this iconic image of the... Uh, of the ship scaling these 100-foot waves. They sent record-breaking waves. This storm did, 100 feet high. And it just is a, a picture of, really, the title itself, I think, is what's most compelling. It's a perfect storm. And yet, in the midst of a storm, no one ever feels like it's perfect. I mean, we can understand that it's interesting to watch and the idea of all of these weather patterns coming in to, to form this cataclysmic storm, that's, that's compelling in a sense. But it, it's also true that we don't want to be in that storm. In fact, the the weather storms that we have around here are ones that we tend to avoid or just endure, and that mirrors the storms in our lives, that none of us is excited about going through a stormy time of life. In fact, we spend most of our prayer time praying that God would give us uh, smooth sailing, bright sunshine, calm seas. That's, That's what we want in life. That's what we associate with the blessing of God. And when storms come into our lives, we wonder to ourselves, is God still there? Does he care about what's going on? Does he even know what's going on? What we find here in Jonah is a perfect storm. It's a literal storm on the ship that he is sailing on. But it's also uh, instructed to us in terms of God's role in the storms in our lives. Because what we see here is that God is not just uh, involved in the storms of our lives. He's not just there with us. He very often sends us storms for a particular loving reason. Uh, In this section of Jonah, we are going to see the relationship of God and the storm and and who we are as human beings. We're going to see God's uh, working in Jonah's life, in the sailors' lives, and also in our own lives. So we're going to first read through the first bit of our text. Then we're going to work through it bit by bit. There's three points. I'll warn you, the first one is long. The second one is medium. The last one is very short. So if you think by the end this sermon is going to go on forever, it hopefully will not. Okay. So I'm going to read first to you uh, from our text and a little recap. If you weren't here last week, if you don't know the story of Jonah, uh, Jonah is a prophet of God. God has spoken to him in the first three verses and said, go to Nineveh, which is an ancient pagan uh, evil city. Go and warn them. Tell them to turn from their ways. Jonah disobeys God. He rebels against God, he does not like that plan, he doesn't think it's a good plan, he does not like the Ninevites, and he trusts himself more than God. So he rebels, and he goes down and gets on a ship sailing in the opposite direction, and that's where we pick up our story. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We'll pause there. So the thing we see right away, the first uh, point is that storms reveal the effects of sinful rebellion. Storms reveal the true effects of sinful rebellion. It's very clear right away from verse 4 that this storm is from God. If you look at verse 4 there, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so much so that the ship was threatened to break up. That word hurl is used um, for when people throw spears in the Bible. So that's the verb there. So with God's like throwing a storm directly at this ship, directly at Jonah, there is um, communicated there a sense of purpose. This isn't just some natural event that happened. God is bringing this into Jonah's life and by extension the sailors' lives because they're on the ship too. The thing also that is very clear is that Jonah has a rebellious heart towards God. I mean, we, we've known already that he is rebelling, he's going in the opposite direction, but it hasn't really been clear what the, is the state of his heart. I mean, sometimes people run away from someone else and, um, you know, they're hurt or they're scared. Sometimes people are running and there's tears streaming down their face and they're hoping that the person that they're running from is going to come after them, is going to chase after them, but that's not how Jonah is running. Jonah is running with a very cold, hard, and angry heart towards God. We see God call him out on this in chapter 4. We're going to get there. But for now, we simply get a very clear picture of what human rebellion really looks like and what consequences it brings. We see this uh, chiefly in the contrast between the sailors and Jonah, their two reactions. So look at verse 5. We see first the sailors, they respond like you would expect. Uh, Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They see what's happening. They're experienced sailors. They know that this is not good. So they're doing whatever they can to to try to, you know, make things good, to try to uh, survive this storm. But that's not Jonah's response. Look at Jonah. He has gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. Now there are some times when it is a good thing to sleep in the midst of a storm. Uh, Sometimes it's evidence of a really peaceful heart with God. Uh, if you know the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll know there was a story where he was asleep in the middle of a storm. Uh, we find it in Matthew 8. Uh, it says this in verse 23, and when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep and they went and woke him up saying, save us Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Or you have little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. So the problem in that situation was that the disciples were frantic when they should have been calm. The opposite is true for Jonah. Jonah was calm, but he should have been frantic. He should have been really, really worried, but he was not at all. And so you might wonder, well, what's the difference? Well, in both cases, uh, these, these both storms are from God. But the difference is that with Jesus and the disciples, there was not a specific sin That this storm was a reaction to, right? It's not like they did something wrong and then God was bringing this storm as as a consequence or as some sort of discipline. No, uh, this was a storm that gave them the opportunity to express faith, to to show that they really trusted Jesus. Uh, That's why he was kind of rebuked them. He said, look, you should know that with me, there is no reason to be afraid. But with Jonah, we see things differently. Because very clearly, Jonah is in rebellion, and this storm is a response to that. In fact, in the storm, we see that God is wanting to wake him up to the reality of his sin. Of course, we see that Jonah is intent on ignoring that. He does not want to wake up. He does not want to admit what's going on, even to the point of self-destruction, which we'll see in a minute. But before we get there, I think it's helpful if we talk a little bit about human rebellion. Uh, Because... In our culture, in our day, uh, rebellion has gotten a, a pretty good reputation. And, and there's some understandable reasons for that. In the last few hundred years, there's been a number of rebellions and revolutions, and many of them have been for good reason. For example, the French Revolution. That was the people rising up against a, a corrupt and uncaring monarchy. Marie Antoinette was saying to people who had no food, let them eat cake if they don't have bread. Right? People are like, this is crazy. Right? They, they, so they revolted, they rebelled, and it was a good thing. Apart from all the killing. That part was bad. But the rebellion itself was good, right? That, that ideology, that way of leading was not good. Uh, think of the American Revolution. They, they were being um, unjustly ruled by the British, in a sense. They were taxing them, but they didn't have any representation. And so the American people, they rose up, they rebelled. For us here in Canada, we're not so uptight. We think, yeah, we love British rule. That's good, right? It's different. But we can see... The ideology behind those rebellions, and there was a reason for that. The civil rights movement could be characterized as a sense of rebellion against many forms of injustice and inequality, which which led to a culture which we see in our in our pop culture that really embraces the rebel. Uh, This is epitomized, of course, in this man, James Dean, who is a rebel without even a reason for being a rebel. But we but he looks so cool. I mean, look at him. He's got jeans he's smoking a cigarette, doesn't care about his health, right? He just, we look at it and everything's wrong. He is, he is a bad boy from a good family, right? Anyone who has a daughter does not want this daughter to fall in love with James Dean and yet they all do. Why? Because he's so cool and it evokes in us the sense of, man, I think that I would like to have that attitude as well, right? Just rebel against life. That tends to be the view of our culture. I mean, it hasn't helped that you know, in Star Wars, the rebels are the good guys, right? There's all these connections where now we speak about rebellion as if it is sort of a natural part of life. We, we talk about those, usually those in our younger years, and we say things like, well, they're just, they're just rebelling. They're just going through a rebellious phase. It's almost like a natural, almost healthy thing that they go through, and we all do. But what we see here in the story of Jonah, in fact, throughout the Bible, is that true rebellion against God... And the authorities that God has placed in our lives is never a good thing. It's never a healthy thing. It always brings about consequences. Uh, That's what we see here uh, in Jonah's hard-heartedness. That rebellion very often develops into that attitude of heart. Where there is an entrenched hardness and anger and and blaming the authorities in our life. We see this rebellion all around us. We see it in ourselves. Uh, It's in the teenager. who puts up her hoodie, who turns up the music, who ignores all the voices of those who are speaking into the the foolish choices she is making, choices that she knows aren't good for her, and yet she just wants to block out all of the people that are speaking into her life and go in the same wrong direction. That's rebellion. It's in the husband who pulls farther and farther away from his wife, ignoring her pleas for, for greater connection, for greater relationship, He's angry, he's disappointed about something in his relationship and so he turns away from her, away from God and he goes in the opposite direction and he does not want to hear anyone in his life who tries to turn him otherwise. That's rebellion. It brings great consequences, ones that he does not even want to admit are there. It's even in the retiree, the man who has been disappointed in life and by this late stage of his life has gotten so angry with with the government, with his family, with God himself. And so instead of being thankful, instead of being joyful, instead of being able to to pour into the lives of others and tell them about all that God has done that is good, instead of that, he criticizes. He's hard-hearted. That too is rebellion. Where he's not willing to thank God, not willing to look inside himself and consider that, that it may be because of him that he is so disappointed See, at least two things are always present in a rebellious heart. There's anger, generally anger towards whatever authority is in our life, but also there's denial. There's a willful inability to consider that we might be part of the problem, perhaps, and certainly a denial of the harmful effects that our rebellion is having on ourselves and the people around us. Sometimes, usually early on in our rebellion, uh, we, we tend to be loud about it. Right? We, we fight, we have tantrums, we scream and yell. But in time, uh, we tend to get very quiet. We just put our head down, we cover our ears, and we keep walking in the wrong direction, even though our lives are falling apart. Even though there's a huge storm raging. And that's what we see here in Jonah. We see the truth that every disobedience will bring a storm into our life. Now with Jonah, it's an actual storm. For us, it tends to be a storm uh, relationally or or mentally, psychologically, emotionally. See, we think that rebellion is a good thing because it feels good. Doesn't it feel good very often? I mean, there's a thousand different ways that we rebel, but just as one example, uh, think of bitterness. Now, bitterness is something that we are told very clearly in, in the Bible, that this is not good, not good for us, not good for the people around us, here, here's a very clear command, in case you were unclear. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It's God saying, look, if, if you have been forgiven by God, then you have an obligation to forgive others. That's, that's true, but what's also true is it's good for you. But when we are hurt by those who love us, Bitterness sure feels right, doesn't it? it, it there's, a, a, there's a sweetness almost to reliving the hurts in our minds, to fantasizing about payback, to, to hardening our heart and to justifying that by just almost every moment of the day thinking back to the hurts that we have endured. Saying the reason that I'm so far from them now, the reason that I have this anger in my heart is because of them. It, it's their fault. And I'm simply responding in the way that only one, Everyone would normally respond to it. It feels right, but what we miss is the harm that it's doing to ourselves. What we miss is how we grow in our capacity for self-pity when we are bitter. What we don't see is is how much more difficult it is for us to have uh, trusting and loving relationships when we're bitter. What we don't see is that the very happiness of our life is draining away. See, when we rebel against God's word, against his commands, there is always fallout. There's, there's always consequences. It's not just that we're rebelling against God. We're rebelling against everything that is good and healthy in our life. Everything that he would want for us. And, and see, for Jonah, Jonah, we see these uh, dramatic immediate effects, the storm that comes in right away. We, we don't often see it that way. That's why, that's why disobedience and rebellion is so deceptive. Because it, it grows slowly usually. At first it seems great. It, it's like exposure to radiation. At first you feel nothing. But then in time, the very cells of your body are corrupted. Cancer develops. It, it's something lethal that we don't see right away. See, this is why God brings storms into our lives in times of rebellion. Part of it is that just in going against what God says is right, it it brings follow. There's consequences. But the other part is that God really loves us, that he doesn't want us to keep going in this harmful direction. And so he will bring other storms to try to make us aware of our rebellion. That's what we see with with Jonah. See, if you've ever thought to yourself that God is willing just to let certain sins pass or that, you know, this, this attitude of my heart isn't really a big deal, look at what we see for Jonah. We see that God is willing to break up this ship And put Jonah and the sailors in mortal peril so that Jonah would see the seriousness of the situation. This is not God's punishment on Jonah. This is God's grace. This is God helping him to see something that if he could see it clearly, he would turn back to God in a moment, but he can't. God loves Jonah and wants him to see that the path he is is on is gonna lead him farther and farther away from God, farther and farther towards eternal destruction. The thing of it is, Jonah does not want to admit it. Even when there's a big storm. I mean, think about the chaos of that moment. The sailors are pleading with him to talk to God. Jonah still has said nothing. He's still in denial that this is really maybe because of him. And so uh, the sailors, they put more pressure on him. So let's look back to to our story. In verse seven, here's what they do. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, like rolling the dice or drawing straws or something, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And here Jonah is forced to respond finally. And it kind of seems as though his heart is softening a bit, right? He said to them, look, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now this is a fascinating moment. Fascinating because these pagan sailors are really calling out Jonah and his sin. And the contrast there shows the depth of Jonah's rebellion, his hardness of heart. Because they're saying to him, What are you- What are you doing? Are you crazy? What have you done to us? And he's saying, I'm a prophet of God, everything's fine, right? I fear the Lord. Right? He's pretending that all is well. Have you noticed this in the lives of those who are rebelling against God? Have you noticed this in yourself? That there'll be situations where, where two believers, right, who friends, uh, you know, husband and wife, something, they care about each other and one is in rebellion. One is doing things that is just, is totally going against what God says is best. And the other person is coming to them and saying, hey, have you, have you th- thought about this thing you did? Like this isn't, this isn't good. Like for example, maybe two students and one of them has plagiarized an essay that you just stole something and, and the friend comes and says, look, man, I, I get you're under pressure, but this is not a good thing. And the response from the person who is, who is going in the wrong direction rather than, oh yeah, you know, I, I know I shouldn't have done that. It's not that it's, it's what do you mean? It's not a big deal. Everyone does that from time to time. Look, I have a heavy course load. I needed just to get through this course. There's, there's denial, there's uh, explanation, rationalization. And it gets to the point where the, the one friend says, look, look, this is a big deal, but not just because you lied. The bigger deal is that you don't care about it. You're not grieved by it. You're not wrestling with this at all. That worries me. If your heart is so hard that you are gonna keep going in this wrong direction, even though you know that it's wrong, and even though I'm telling you, that says something about your heart. See, for Jonah, this is a shameful moment where he, the prophet of God, is, is being called out by these men who don't even really know the Lord. Let this be a word for us. If we know the Lord, this should never be true in our lives. That for those of us who, who know Jesus and claim to follow him, that, that I mean, we are all gonna fall into sin. That, that, that's not... That's not what it means to be a Christian, that you never fall into sin. What it means to be a Christian is that you are quick to repent, that you recognize, that you admit to it, that you, that you hear the voice of others. But Jonah is in this moment, he is entrenched. He is deadlocked in his anger and his rebellion. Now for the sailors, they come to an obvious conclusion. right? They, they, they say this in verse 11. They said to him, well, then what shall we do to you that the sea may, be quiet, may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous they see, look, if Jonah is, is the focal point is on him, we got to do something to you. You're the only way this is going to get better. Now Jonah does something which is very interesting. It, it seems at first as if these, this next, uh, these next words are very altruistic. Right? Like he's selfless. But it's not exactly clear that's the case. He says this in verse 12. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And at first you think, wow, finally Jonah is taking responsibility. Finally he sees, he says there, "Uh, look, it's because of me. So for your sake, throw me into the sea and everything will get better. And some people read this that way, just that this is Jonah uh, finally softening his heart. Uh, They see even in this uh, sort of a foreshadowing of the, the eventual sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf which is true in a sense. There's definitely thematic connections there. That's a theme we see throughout the Bible, a a pattern of sacrifice which culminates in the final sacrifice of Christ on our behalf on the cross. But I don't think this situation is as clear and cut as that. Uh, For one main reason, getting hurled into the sea is not the only way to make the sea quiet down. Jonah getting thrown into the ocean is not the only way to save these men. In fact, it's not even the best way to save them. The best way to save them would be for Jonah to do what he has avoided doing since he left Israel, which is to repent and turn back towards Nineveh. I mean, if Jonah at that moment had said, Lord, Lord, forgive me for my sin. And he said to the captain, look, what we have to do, we have to turn back. I'm going in the wrong direction. That's why the storm is here. Then the seas would have calmed down. He would have been walking in obedience. He would have been doing what he should have done. What we see here, though, in Jonah is the true depth of rebellion, that his heart is so hard that he is is willing to kill himself, to destroy himself rather than fall on his knees before the Lord. Have you seen this in yourself or in others, that we human beings sometimes get to this point where, where we will ignore all wisdom, where we will not be willing at all to look in our own hearts to question whether we are somewhat to blame for the situation, where we are hell-bent on going in the wrong direction. Why do we resist so much? Why right now are there some of us who know the direction we should be going in and yet we, we've just fought it for so long? Do you see the extent that God is going to? His great love for Jonah that he's trying to help him see the severity of the situation. See, that was our first point, that storms do reveal, in fact, the the effects, the harmful, the, the true, the dire effects of sinful rebellion. But what we also see here is our second point, that storms also reveal our need for God. Because here in this moment, we can see how pitiful, how foolish, how unwise Jonah is. He can't see it. But through the storm, there is hope that he will. And interestingly, the sailors, the sailors are beginning to see their own need for God. Look at the next, really the last section of our, of our text today. Starting in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now just for a moment, we're going to take our eyes off Jonah and focus on these sailors. Because the sailors really do uh, seem to have a soft heart towards the Lord. For one thing, they didn't throw Jonah into the water immediately, which is somewhat surprising. Right? These are hard-nosed, grizzled sailors. You'd have thought at the first mention, Jonah saying, look, it's my fault. The you know, sailor nearest to him would have grabbed him and chucked him in the ocean, thinking, finally, that's all we needed to know. Now we can go on with our journey. It was his fault. He's in the water. All is said and done, but that's not what they do. Right? They first try to row back towards the land. And then, just before they actually throw him into the water, they pause and they pray to God. They say, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. They even acknowledge that all of this has been by the hand of God. They say, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And then after he's thrown into the sea, they offer uh, sacrifices. They praise God. They show evidence of what really seems like a genuine faith. These sailors who had prayed to other gods at the beginning of the journey now are praising God, are offering sacrifices, have seen the hand of God at work. Now a cynic, I think, would say, well, of course they professed faith in God. I mean, they were about to die. That's what people do when they're near death. In fact, we have an expression for that. The expression is, there are no atheists and foxholes. You know that expression. What it means is that, look, even if you are an atheist, when you are in, in a situation where your life is in peril, even then, you will, you will probably pray something. You will look elsewhere for hope. In our day, this expression has become fairly comical. We, we see it. I mean, the picture is one of a soldier really pinned down in a foxhole. Their, their life is in peril. They're praying to God. But these days, it tends to be in movies or TV shows where a character is in some sort of difficult situation and they, they turn their eyes up kind of comically and say, God, like I, you don't really know me. I don't really talk to you. But I mean, I'd really appreciate some help with this. And, and if you do this, then I will do this. And everyone kind of laughs because, uh, you know, the character doesn't really believe there's a God. And they never really intend on doing what they say they're going to do. And so isn't this kind of what we're seeing here? Some sort of convenient belief. For the sailors, I mean, they've tried everything else. They've tried their God. They've tried to row. Nothing works. And so they'll just cover all their bases. And they'll seem like they have faith in God. Well, it does seem that way. Except for one thing that I think is really important. It's the sequence of events. Because what we see here in the text is that the storm is already calm by the time that they praise God. See that uh, verse 15 and 16. They picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the danger had passed. They, they were already, you know, in the clear. And yet it's at that moment that in their hearts, what welled up was thankfulness because they had experienced the salvation of God. They had seen his power and his goodness and his might. This is the response that we see throughout scripture and throughout the lives of people who have genuinely been saved by God. Uh, this is what, what we tend to do. In fact, the Psalms are filled with this. Uh, here's one example. Uh, Psalm 9, verses one to two. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, almost High. That's an attitude of heart that is soft towards the Lord, thankful towards God. And that should be the pattern of every Christian. That because of the experience of God's grace, that we are saved from the consequences of our sin, we live a pattern of life where we're we're praising God, we're thanking God. This, I would argue, is evidence of genuine faith. That these sailors who had trusted in all sorts of other things, came to the point where they saw their need for God. And it happened not just in the midst of a storm, but because of a storm. The storm revealed their need for God. And the same thing is true for us. That in our lives, that this is, this is the point very often when we come to genuine faith. It's not usually in the, in the sunny, you know, smooth sailing times of our life. It's usually when we feel like we're at the end of our rope which kind of makes sense. I mean, think about these sailors for a moment. If, if God had not brought a storm into their life, what would have happened? Well, they would have sailed to Tarshish as they had done many times before. They would have trusted in their gods that they probably had prayed to, been thankful for a smooth journey, and they would have not ultimately come to see that they, they don't really have a hope beyond this life, that they are in rebellion against God, that ultimately their own strength, their, their old gods are not gonna help them This was God's grace. This was God revealing to them something that they couldn't see about themselves. And this is what happens in all of our lives. Very often, people come to faith when they're they're looking at death in the face. At the end of their lives. When they know that the end is uh, is near. And some people are critical of that. Deathbed confession. Some people say, well, that's just a sort of a last minute hope. But in fact, it, it makes a lot of sense. Sadly. I say sadly, because some people live their whole lives apart from God and not realize to the end that they really need Him. And that's because every day that we have health, every day that we have some measure of wealth, every, every day that we have something else to hope in is a day where many of us continue on in our rebellion. We will not admit that we have any sense of need. In fact, many of us don't even admit that we need help from other people in our lives. That's the nature of our humanity, of our pride. There are many who in their last breaths finally realize that they have no hope apart from God. And that's, hear me, that is a gracious thing. That is a wonderful thing. That God would still forgive them of all of their sins. The thief on the cross is an example of that. He's done nothing to honor God his whole life and yet at that very last moment recognizes that who Jesus is and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That that is God's grace and favor and blessing. That was the true story of uh, Don's great-grandpa, great-grandpa Mackey, or grandpa Mackey, that he, in the last days of his life, he longed for a peace that he never had, even though the family had been sharing the good news with him for many, many years, and yet he hadn't been interested until he finally realized that his strength was gone. That's a wonderful thing, but it's also a dangerous thing because for some of us, we are resisting. We always think that there's more time. And yet the truth is we, we don't really know how much more time we have. And there are some times when in those last days, those last hours, when our mind is not as clear as we hope it will be. There's a story I heard once of a, of a pastor who went to visit his grandma who was in the hospital. She was, didn't have long left and he, he had shared Jesus with her and, and she had sort of expressed faith, but not really. And he wanted to go and just assure her and just kind of hear from her that she really trusted in Christ for her salvation. And he came, but she was so medicated that he couldn't, she was in and out of consciousness. And he was just grieved by that. His brother was there, who, who was, had a nominal faith as well. And he was pleading with his grandma. Grandma, I just need to know that you know where you're going. I need to know what your hope is, that it's in Jesus. And he turned to his brother and said, look, I never want to see you in this situation. It's not... It's not right for you to ignore God your whole life and just hope and and think that there'll be a time when you can come to faith later on. You don't know. The reason that we resist is because it's hard. It's hard for us to admit that we need help. It's hard for us to come to a point of really submitting to the Lord, especially when we've, we've walked maybe in strength our whole lives. We don't see it until a storm comes. And that's God's grace. That that very often God will bring storms in our lives to reveal to us that which we can't see. Sometimes it's health, sometimes it's financial crisis. This reveals the third point, which really is a summary of the first two storms. Storms reveal the intentional love of God, they they reveal the activity of God in our lives, that He pursues us in love. See, what this means is that we should probably think of storms differently than we do. We should probably pray about the difficulties of our lives differently than we do. As I said at the beginning, most of our prayer life, mine included, every night I pray for the the boys. I pray for the next day. I pray it's a good day. I pray that we'd have peace. I pray that things would go well. I pray you'd help us to trust you, Lord. We're always praying for a bright and sunny day. And yet what we see here is that God does great work in the storms. And that God is is at work in the storms of our lives. I mean, just think again for a moment. Jonah and the sailors thought that what would be best for them in this journey would, have, would be to have smooth sailing. But that would not have been best. What was best for them is that there was a raging storm where they were anxious and they were fearing of their life because in that moment is where they came to certain realizations which were essential for them to have hope forever. For the sailors, for them to recognize that their own gods, their own strength was never going to save them ultimately. That they needed to know the Lord. For Jonah, the the intent was that he would see that the path he was walking was leading to further and further destruction. Storms reveal the intentional love of God. Because in them, he is showing us things that we couldn't possibly see in calm waters. Now there's something, a clarification we need to make about storms. Because some will take this kind of teaching and then say, okay, well, any storm in my life, that must mean that there's sin. That was the error of Job's friends. When Job had all the stuff happen in his life, they said, well, you got to be in sin. You're doing something wrong. That's why God is punishing you. That's, that's not what this is teaching. In fact, Tim Keller makes it very clear. He says this, the Bible does not say that every difficulty in our lives is the result of sin, but it does teach that for Christians, every difficulty can help reduce the power of sin over our hearts do you see that that is one of the most loving things that God could do for us? That that is far more loving than a a life of smooth sailing. That is far more loving because in that we gain a greater hope beyond ourselves, in God himself. So this means that if you are going through a storm right now, there are three possibilities. Number one, it may simply be a test of faith. You've done nothing wrong. Um, God is not trying to wake you up to rebellion it's simply that this is a, an opportunity for you to exercise faith but it may be like we see here with Jonah that there's a storm in your life right now because God is trying to reveal a certain rebellion within your heart and if that's the case my question for you is is how long are you going to keep resisting the leading of God How long are you going to keep ignoring all of the destruction that's going on around you because of your sinful choices? When will you humble yourself? When will you acknowledge that you're going in the wrong direction and turn back towards the Lord? The third possibility is that God is simply wanting you to acknowledge your need for him. That that, that God, God wants for you to have a genuine faith in him. And if that's the case, when are you going to stop pretending that you can do it on your own? When are you going to stop pretending that your own strength, your own resources, whatever hope you have in this earth is going to carry you through for all eternity? See, the storms of life are where God does some of his best work. There are, in fact, perfect storms. Storms that come by the grace and love of God, storms that in the moment make us feel such great angst, so difficult. And I'm going to pray in a moment for those of us going through those times. It's very difficult. But when we look our eyes up, look our eyes up to God himself and start to think about what he might be doing in them, that's where we can grow closer to him and when we can endure with grace and with faith. Now with Jonah, it needs to be said, he hasn't yet softened his heart, if you notice that. His his selfless decision to be thrown into the sea, it's still in the wrong direction. He's not headed back towards Nineveh. We're going to see next week that even with this continued act of rebellion, God still loves him. God still pursues him and, and amazingly, crazily, saves him from drowning to death by a giant fish, which I promise we'll talk about next week. But for the moment, the word for us and for what, what Jonah should have heard is that God is at work in the storms because he loves us, because he's pursuing us, even when our hearts are hard. So let's pray to that end. God, thank you. Thank you for this story, Lord. Thank you that in the life of Jonah, we see you at work, Lord. We see your gracious, loving, persistent work in his life. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that same work in our own lives. God, I pray for all of us here that are enduring certain storms. Lord, certain difficulties that overwhelm us, like waves crashing over us. God, I pray that you would would help us to cling to you in faith. I pray especially, Lord, for those of us that we know, Lord, there's some area of our lives where we have just been resisting you. God, would you give us the the softness of heart to admit wrong, to turn back to you, to receive your forgiveness and grace. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet have that ultimate hope in you. I pray, Lord, that through this text and through the things you're doing in their lives, that they too would see their need for you. Thank you, God, for we know that in every instance of our lives, you are not only at work, you are at work for our good.